0: So what we're going to do now for the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes, uh, is, 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 is what we sort of do every Sunday is, is we get into a part of the Bible and, and we believe that God wants to speak to us. In some way, show us something about himself, something about our world that, that's valuable for us to know. And, and, and so what we do is we read the Bible first and then I'll sort of explain and, and unpack it a bit. Before Zaria reads, I'll just invite you, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some in the middle of the, on, of the building on, on some tables there, um, and we are heading through Revelation, the last book of the Bible, that's what we're going to read through, um, feel free to get up and grab a Bible anytime. Zaria um, Zaria's going to read two chapters to us, good job for signing up for that, <laughs> I gave her the choice to, to only read a bit and I'll read the rest, she said no, no, give me the lot. And uh, read a lot, so, yeah, um, go for it. It might sound a bit crazy and outlandish, but I'll clarify it when we're done. Thanks, Zaria, go for it. Um, so I'm, Zaria.
1: I'm Reading Revelation 17 to 19 verse 6. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast, because it once was, now is not and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven heels on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five had fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you see, you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose, and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers." Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority. Until God's words are fulfilled... The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendour. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the Great! She has become a dwelling for demons, and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries the kings of the earth committed adultery with her and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuriouses then i heard another voice from heaven say come out of her my people so that you will not share in her sins so that you will not receive any of her plagues for her sins are piled up to heaven and god has remembered her crimes give back to her as she has given Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will outtake her. Death, mourning and famine. She will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury saw the smoke at her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her cause no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pells. Fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth. Every sort of citron wood. And articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble. Cargoes of cinnamon and spice. Of incense, myrrh and frankincense. Of wine and olive oil. Of fine flour and wheat. Cattle and sheep. Horses and carriages. And humans being sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendour have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to Rome. Every sea captain and all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they'll exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, woe, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea become rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her to the judgment she imposed on you. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, pipers and trumpeters, will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like per- loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Yeah, well then,
0: Zaria. Let's yeah, let's give her a applause. That was cool. Great job. That was fantastic. Okay, keep your Bibles open if you have them with you and on you. And I will take this coat off. I want to tell you a story. <laughs> story of a man. Youngish energetic, ambitious, full of energy and uh, uh, drift and driven. And one day an opportunity came for this young man. He got tapped on the shoulder uh, by the CEO of a prestigious company, headhunting him, offering him an incredible opportunity to work for his company. The young man did what many of us might do. He thought, well, I better seek advice. This was quite a deal that came with quite a lot of expectations. It would have been quite life-changing. It wasn't a, an easy decision to make. And this young man had two women in his life who he consulted, trusted, confided in, and so he thought he will do his due diligence by just hearing what each had to say, what they thought he should do. The first spoke to him and said, You you are very much correct. This is a big decision indeed. It's worth your while to think carefully about this. Here are the sorts of questions that I think you need to consider in taking this job or not. Will it give you strategically a platform from where your career can thrive later on? Is this a good career move? Will you get the influence that you need for realising your dreams. She knew this man quite well. She said, you know that you have great dreams of having a full life. She knew that he was very ambitious and keen uh, to build up at least enough of assets and an investment portfolio to retire early, maybe at the age of 50, to spend quality time with his family and ensure that he future-proofs his life in the unstable economic times in which he lives. But after all, she said, at the end of the day, it's not about the money or your opportunities. It's really about your happiness. Are you sure that this job, which is going to be excruciatingly demanding, will make you happy? Is this what you really want? And have always wanted That was the advice from the first woman he consulted. And it was probably enough to time over to say, I'll take the job, but I've got to talk to someone else in my life. It was rather different to the first woman. And she too said, yes, you'd better think about this very carefully. This is a big decision indeed. (laughs) Here are the things that I need you to... Think about and consider. What do you think God's purposes are with your life and the season of life that you're in right now? In what ways do you think this job might serve God's purposes in your life right now? Will this job give you a sense of contentment and peacefulness? Will this job give you time for the necessities of life like rest, like worship, like time with your family? Yes. Will it provide the physical and financial means to support these things? Will it strengthen your faith, your dependence on God, or will it weaken it? (laughs) (laughs) Which set of advice does he prioritize? Who does he go with? I mean, they may not be entirely opposed to each other, necessarily, but they're very different. Are they not? (laughs) You see, this tension of two women that our friend lives in is the tension that you live in and that I live in, in this world. It is the tension that Revelation chapter 17 and 18 introduces us to (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it paints this picture for, for well, if you're a Christian here today, you certainly would feel the tension. But if you're not a Christian, you, you kind of know sometimes what's wise and what's not, and you feel the tension and a tug in virtually every decision you have to make in life between two opposing views, right? Things pulling you in different directions. And I want to show you how this comes out in this chapter today. Uh, I'll just quickly... Um, by way of backtracking, if you've been here for the number, last number of weeks, this is the green stuff is what we've covered in Revelation. i put the bowls up there. We didn't actually preach through them in the chapters, but they're the same as the seven seals or the seven trumpets. Um, if this is all going over your head, don't worry about it. Um, we're down here today and next week. We, we're doing a couple of sermons in here and then we're going to finish up. So that's, that's where we're at in, in Revelation so far. Just to put you on the map. But back to our question, let me unpack a little bit of it for us. We're introduced in this chapter to a woman, chapter 17. If you would, have a look at your Bible if you've got it open. The first five verses introduces us to her. It calls this woman uh, Babylon. Uh, She's dressed in purple and scarlet. She's glittering with gold, precious stones. We read in 17 verse 4, she's got a golden cup in her hand um, and the name written on her forehead was this mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Now Babylon is this ancient, powerful city in history who ruled mightily over the earth. It was a superpower. And what the guy who writes Revelation does here is he's likening the superpower of his day, which was the city of Rome. And that's described in various ways in chapter 17. You know, she sits on seven hills, which people identify with physical places, but it's not. It's it's a symbol, as all of Revelation is, to tell us there's something about this superpower city that stretches through all of human history. Through all of human history, there has been this superpower earthly city or system or way of thinking that dictated for you what the good life contains. If you want to live the good life, think this way. This is what the ancient city of Rome did all throughout the whole world and its empire. I love the way... No, I don't actually love the way they did it. But it's kind of cool how if you really study the Roman Empire and how it set itself up to make sure the whole world knew its values and its worldview. They built theaters throughout the whole place. First place they conquer, they build a theater because they say if our entertainment and our culture gets exposed, the world gets exposed to that, they will know how we think. And live how we live. And then alongside that, they set up the political structures and all the cruel and vicious and harsh iron way they rule and they literally bent the world to their way of thinking and you couldn't really escape it if you wanted to make a living really in a city that the romans owned and occupied and ruled and dominated if you wanted to have a job Well, you come along to the parties that the trade guilds have and you participate in what they do there. And eventually you're going to say, yes, I pledge allegiance to Caesar and I worship him because the Roman Caesar is the ultimate authority of all human existence and he is good. And what he says is good and what he suggests to me I should do with my life, that is good. I'm going to go along with that. Otherwise I don't have a job, don't have food, it's not going to go well with me. Only an idiot would not go along with it. This is what Rome did. This is what this great woman did in the ancient empire. Suggested to you what the good life is. And of course, we sit 2,000 years down the line. The question for us is, as we find ourselves in 21st century, Western, free, capitalist democracy... So I suggest to you, is also a rather beautiful woman. What does she tell us about what are the non-negotiable laws of living the good life? What is ultimate in terms of making you happy? How do you fit into this world and, 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 and rise to its top echelons to, to thrive in it, right? Newspaper article that I read about two months ago brilliant, it talks about exactly this I couldn't believe it, I was like, oh cool better save this one it's not going to the wood eater as the others do normally, um, okay uh, an article that says looking for God in an age of unbelief right uh, this is on page number 24 oh, <laughs> I heard, what page is it on? I thought that's an odd question. Uh, this is in the Australian. Um, what does that mean to you? No, it's not. This is, this is not a Christian publication. Uh, I don't know if the author is a Christian, but, um, but he, very interestingly, he, uh, yeah, it's he, not she, um, here's what he says. This is what we're looking for today. This is what, this is what Rome tells us today, what you must have. If you want it to be really going well with you, this is what most people in our culture assume is the non-negotiable laws of the good life that look so sexy and attractive. Number one, uh, soulmate. Find the right person for you. There's someone out there who is exactly who you need what you need will fill every recess of your life and heart, who will make you complete and happy. Find that someone, and you'll have it. Sorry, young people, it's rubbish. <laughs> it's not true. Don't believe right, I'm it. These are all false, by the way. I'll, I'll say that too. It looks so great. Every movie you watch tells you that. Everyone, <laughs> right? Number two, children. You now, if you didn't get the soulmate part right, how many people in our culture today go, children, children will make me happy. <laughs> They should have them first, then they can think about it again. But, but 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 listen to this quote, it's a great quote. Twinkle, twinkle, little star celebrates the tiny redeemer who has tiptoed into the world, arriving as a stranger out of nowhere to transfigure the lives of its parents. <laughs> you know, what? if you're gonna martyr yourself for anything as the highest value of thing in your life, it's your children. That's what you would really give yourself up for. And that would, that's what you look to to complete you, to fulfill you, right? Number three, if, if that doesn't cut it for you, the authentic you. Still looking for the authentic you? Don't want to show the authentic me in public. It's <laughs> a scary thought. But funnily enough, that's what for a lot of people the pres- assumption is that there is some version of the authentic you and unless that gets the right to full expression, <laughs> you can't be happy. So, so, you know, this is where all the stuff comes in, and sexuality, uh, sexual orientation, uh, money, wealth. It is really something about, there's something inside of you that's authentic to only you. You must find that and pursue it and give it full expression, boundless, limitless, nothing cramping your style. Get that says Rome to us, you'll do well here. (laughs) It finds happiness for us. Now, you see, church, these things, together with the example of, obviously, the first woman for our friend, it was kind of sound advice, but it, it, it wasn't all that good advice. It was, in many ways, what I think we need to understand today as Revelation calls us the maddening wines of Babylon. Right? And the kings of the earth and the, everybody who goes along with this commits this adultery with her. It's not talking about sex, it's talking about buying into this way of thinking, going along with it, <laughs> not pausing and thinking critically. Maybe it's a lie, maybe it's false. Maybe this is not what would make me happy. Maybe this is not the truth. And this is, of course, what Revelation says to us here. Uh, 18, verse 4, this is such a key part of of the whole thing where God says to, to his people at least, come out of her, my people. Come out of this way of thinking. Get away from understanding the good life like this. This is not the good life. This is not how you are to live. This is not how you are to think. Come out of her. Get out of this. This woman, what she says, is not the truth. She will not lead you to a full life and true happiness. Get away from thinking like this and living like this. That's the rub of the chapter. Now I want to get to the nitty-gritty hard stuff, right? Because I think there should be a number of questions in your mind that you rightly ought to fire back at me. The first question is, Why would I do this? I'll get there later in the end. Before then, the next question. This is really difficult. Isn't it too difficult? And I want to just hover here for a bit. Because I think the objection is a fair one. It's extremely difficult to not go along with what our world and our culture suggests to us is good and will make you happy. The woman, as she's described, and we must make no mistake in chapter 17, is extremely good-looking, extremely good-looking. You know, if you want to take a look at these pictures, uh, Phil, can you scroll me over, please? Um, My Clicker is not helping me. Right, That looks good, doesn't it? <laughs> that looks really good to me. I, I. I asked my family this morning, they said, oh, yeah, cheesecake, you know, that's, that's what I want. That's for me the thing that always is the thing, you know. Fine wine and fine dining, you know, that is going to hit it for you. That's going to make you happy, man. Uh, yeah, the grand holidays, um, the new kitchen, um, the house with the pool and the deck and, the, and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, uh, compared to this. It's not so good looking, is it? Um, Just an ordinary old couple sitting on an ordinary old couch. Uh, Yeah, that's just me in my backyard yesterday with an ordinary little girl (laughs) sitting and having a a time together. An ordinary average church uh, sitting you on your ordinary couch regularly at home. If you know Jesus in time with him in prayer and a lifestyle that, that doesn't look nearly as sexy as, as that stuff, does it? And the fact is that the woman is beautiful. I, I, that's, that's the only point I want to get across to you in this revelation thing is saying, it's everything about our culture seems to scream out at you, this way of living looks good, feels good, smells good, tastes good, smiles good. All of it is fantastic. It is beautiful difficult and in chapter 17 verse 6 that's where the Bible tells us that yes you've got to understand this look at what John says there in chapter 17 verse 6 he says I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of her, God's holy people that's sort of the, the, the bad end of what Rome does the persecution of God's people uh, and then he says in the second half when I saw her I was greatly astonished literally I was filled with great wonder at how stunning she looked. (laughs) The cake looked good. (laughs) Uh, The sum you have in mind of your dream job looked good. The guy in the analogy in the first that I started out with, you know, that first woman's advice looked good. It sounds good, doesn't it? To retire at 50, to be happy in your job because that's where you spend most of your life, it sounds and looks not easy. It's not easy to come out of Rome. we have got to understand that. Number two, what makes it difficult for us, uh, is that the good woman's advice, in the analogy early on, is not always easy to discern. I picked that story very deliberately because it's a little grey, wasn't it? <laughs> Not that easy to work out sometimes what to do as a Christian if, if you want to follow Jesus in this world. You might rightly say to me, Are you saying that I should never go for a job that pays more or increases my opportunities? Are you saying to me that I should never enjoy nice stuff? Are you saying to me I should never get married or that marriage shouldn't be a source of joy to me? It's an obligation and a duty. Not to be enjoyed. I read Jane Eyre in the last couple of months. Yes, that's good. And I... Who's read Jane Eyre? Anybody knows Jane Eyre? Yeah. Any men? (laughs) Mike Voss. Soulmates, we've got it. (laughs) You and I. You know, at the back end of Jane Eyre, if you remember, this guy... St. Christian guy, missionary, holy, holy, holy type of dude, proposes marriage to Jane Eyre, but there's a real problem. You know? She says, no, I'm not going to get married to you because you do not love me. <laughs> and he can't see it. He goes, why not? This is the Christian thing to do. I want to go on missions. We're going to proclaim the Word of God. You're a Christian. Best way for us to do that is As 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 a married couple, let's go and do the work of God. But there's no space in that in His mind for actually. You're telling to me, is that what you're telling to to me? Should I see marriage like that? There's no joy and romance and nothing of soulmate-ish. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying I should pay no attention to who I am, or find and express myself, or have a healthy view of my self-esteem? Is that is that does that not matter? Are you saying that my children has no bearing on the happiness in my life? Should we go back to the times where it didn't matter if children died in shipholes or, or, or worse, era where they were so not noticed that abuse was so possible and ignored? How stark, how unappealing is this Christian life outside of Rome? Folks, I'm not saying that to you at all. Of course... You should derive joy from your marriage and your children. Of course, work should be satisfying to a healthy degree. Of course, we need to enjoy good food, good wine, good holidays. These things are among the good gifts of God. We're commanded to enjoy them, although we're commanded to enjoy them in a very unique and a very specific way. You see, these things have a very specific job to do in us. Well, what that is that you say? I want to be really practical today and help you out. And it comes from the chapters in Revelation. You notice in chapter 18, verse 9 to 19, um, I just want to run your eyes over it quickly, it's already talked about Rome, and all this stuff's going to go down in history. It's going to be judged. It's going to be forgiven, uh, for, forgotten. It's not going to make it right. And then the response to this judgment of Rome is very interesting. There are three groups of people in those chapters. Kings, merchants, and sea captains. All three groups throughout that passage go, woe, woe. Woe, because this great city of Rome has fallen. All her wealth, all her splendor, all her beauty, all her glory is gone. They are gutted. They, they watch the destruction of that, and they are utterly in sackcloth, in ashes, and grief, and sad. What is it that they are ultimately broken up over? Themselves. They've lost their wealth. They have lost their pleasure. (laughs) Remorsing not for Rome, or if you remember last week, who's behind Rome, Satan, the beasts, the dragons, they're not remorsing his loss, right? Compare that now for me to the people of God in the chapter. Later on in chapter 18, uh, we read that the saints, the people of God, are going rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Woe, 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 rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Rome and her allies are woe, woe, woe. The people of God are rejoice, rejoice, rejoice at Rome's judgment and that she has fallen. But is a very Key difference between why the kings, the merchants, the sea captains are, 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 are you know, in grief. They're in grief because of their own loss. Why do the saints rejoice? They're not rejoicing because finally they got what came to them. Finally, we have been vindicated. Finally, revenge was taken. No, no. Chapter 19, look for me. What are they Rejoicing over, in, 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 I'll read it again to you, number one. Hallelujah, salvation, glory and power belongs to our God. True and just are his judgment. He has condemned the great prostitute. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, hallelujah. Go a little bit to verse five. There's a voice that came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Later on in verse 6 again, hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. (laughs) The saints rejoice over the judgment of Rome because finally God is revealed. God's glory is shown in full. God is understood as the one who ultimately has always been the truth. The world is cut up because they lost their own wealth. The saints rejoice because God is revealed as God. Okay, that's a roundabout way to give you your practical advice. How do we deal with our dilemma just before we close off? Every decision we make boils down to this. Will this decision bring me closer to God or will it lead me further away from God? Right? Is your pursuit of the gift going to lead you into deeper into a God-experiencing, God-enjoying and God-glorifying life or is it just going to enhance your own selfish pleasure? That's what our friend needs to think of with his job decision. Right? That's the guide, church. And and yes, John tells us, this is going to call for great wisdom. It's going to cause for great discernment. You're going to have to grow in wisdom. Wisdom in God's Word. Wisdom in Christian community. Wisdom in listening and discerning the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And yes, sometimes... This is going to make you turn that job down. And the world's going to go to you, what an idiot. Who would do that? And you'd go, I would. Because there are other things that I want, (laughs) that I desire. I, I, I want to have God in my life more prominently. Sometimes it might mean that you will turn the marriage down. Sometimes it would mean that you would turn children down. Life of singleness, for the glory of God. Nobody preaches that to you. God calls some people to do it. For his glory, their satisfaction, right? (laughs) Sometimes I'll turn myself down. Because I'm not a good master to myself. Nowhere near as good a master to myself as Jesus, right? (laughs) But let's finish. I... I'll wrap up. We Get back to the question. Why would I do this? Why would I think this way? Why do I need to make God such a priority in me and in my decisions? And why would I listen to the second woman's advice? Or at least why would I prioritize her over the first one? give you three reasons two quick ones one longer one because behind the bad woman is a beast okay recall past sermons your world and my world is not neutral stuff that goes on on your tv through the advertising industry through your political system in this wonderful capitalistic free, democratic society you live in, it's not neutral, it's not neutral, it operates on greed and selfishness and deep, dark spiritual powers sit behind it, it looks beautiful but you know what, you need to look further behind it, there's a lot more going on than here and now, that's not all there is to life, Okay, be very careful. To see our world system as inherently good. Market driven and capitalistic democracy, the mark of the free world, everything perfect about it. Bunker, it's not. There's nothing inherently free about it, and it's enslaved to greed and lust. The service of Satan. Okay? Number two why would you do this? The woman and the beast, point of the chapters, is they go down to destruction. (laughs) They face a final judgment, utterly and ultimately destroyed. This is what Ryan preached about last week really well to us. It's tricky, uncomfortable stuff, but it's the biblical picture, right? It won't last. (laughs) But here's the third and the last and the biggest reason. Why would you go with the first woman's advice? Because she is ultimately the bride of Christ. And she is stunningly more beautiful than the first woman. You see, your choice is not between the beauty of Babylon and the ugliness of God. No. Your choice is between the fake beauty of Babylon and the true, eternal, abiding, stunning beauty of God and his love for you in Christ. You see, Rome in the chapter is abandoned by all her friends and her allies. When she goes down, they all turn on her. They care nothing for her. There's nothing beautiful in it. Yet the Lamb in Revelation comes to his people. He comes and suffers for them, with them. You see, God will come for you, will come to you. In your moments of greatest need, for Frank Clark, this week, Jesus was there. He met him. I <laughs> think more beautiful than that. Rome wouldn't have been there for him. Jesus was. Jesus is. You see, church, why would you say no to Rome now? Because it's all fake and it's nothing like the true beauty and love and splendor of God for you in Christ. May he help us to see that beauty. So much of your Christian life is not about saying no to the world. It's about saying yes to the beauty of God. And may he give us the wisdom to see how he, and pursuing his beauty and love and grandeur in every decision we need to make, uh, plays out. May we identify him. May we know and find the wisdom we need when we need it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you provide, even in a strange book like Revelation, some reminders for us that what we see around us, the world we live in, may not be what we think it is. Despite its great presentation, it's not always true. And it doesn't love us like you love us. And so we pray for your help. To see what's right, what's good, what's wise, what's loving in every decision we have to make. How do we come out of her, yet live in her, and worship you in her, and enjoy you in her? Father, that tension for us is awful to bear sometimes but thank you for your promise that you'll help us. I pray that you'd increase each person here's ability to see you with the eyes of their heart, to know that you're real, to know that you love them, and to know that there is nothing more stunningly beautiful on offer in our existence as humans as you yourself. Open the eyes of our hearts. Make us see you and make us love you as you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name.